greet you all in Jesus' name this morning. Greetings from Bonner's Ferry. And uh, just uh, as I was looking over the group this morning, I was just thinking, you know, I suppose you have your mountains and valleys like we do. I Maybe you don't. I'd like to see a church that doesn't, but we do. And uh, anyway, I, uh, I just was thinking that this morning. I really appreciate being here for several reasons, to visit my sister Barbara and, all, and Raymond. And also, it's, um, we, we attended a wedding in, uh, in South Carolina. One of our members got married to a girl there. And uh, I was hoping that there'd be some nice weather because I, our, our leaves are almost gone. And I was thinking, oh, you're, we don't have any red leaves out there. They're all, all yellow, yellow and, and, um, and green. That's what you see in the forest. And I love to see the reds. And uh, anyway, I was thinking of that. And uh, so with the rain forecast, I was thinking, oh my, that's, but here we get a day like today, that's beautiful. You've got your rain, but, and maybe overdose of rain, but we got our smoke out there. We had the fires, we had uh, uh, bad fires. For a whole month, we could hardly see the mountains anymore. There's a fire right across the river from us, about 10 miles. But there was a lot of them in Washington. Very dry year for us. Okay, I was just thinking of that, and as I was thinking of, uh, uh, Brother Leon said I was here five years ago, I was thinking of age. I was thinking, uh, what made me think of this maybe is I was down in uh, South Carolina, and, and I was talking to a man there that I didn't know, and he said, uh, uh, he said, oh, I'd give him my name, he gave me his name, he said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite a bit younger and so forth. And I was thinking, oh, is he younger than I am? Well, not, he couldn't be because, and I, the older you get, the less you wonder if you really recognize what's going on. But anyway, so he said, oh yeah, yeah. So I was curious though, and I said, I was born in 44. I didn't tell him this. And I said, what year were you born? 46, I'm thinking two years. Uh, anyway, those are my thoughts this morning as I on this trip. Okay, my subject this morning, how does a Christian deal with doubt? You know, I, when I was thinking of this, I had to think of this, this story that I heard, and you've probably heard sometime too from others. This, uh, this man went, went, uh, came to the tent meetings, and he got saved in the tent meeting, and it was so glorious and so wonderful. But uh, he went back home, and the next day he was working out in the field, and, and uh, he was just thinking, was he really saved? Did I really, really get saved? So he went that night again, and, and he, he decided, you know, i got to get saved again. So he went forward again. This happened two times, three. Finally, he decided, you know, I've had enough of this. Uh, I was saved, I know I was, but yet I can't believe this. There's something going on. So next time he took a stake and he pounded it in the ground right there where he met the Lord in front of the altar. And so then he said, I want that stake to stay there. Every time I have these doubts, I'm going to go to that stake and I'm going to check it out. I got saved, I know I did. So let uh, John 20, this is what made me think of, uh, I was reading this one, not, oh, month or so ago, and I was thinking of this verse, 
uh, these verses in John 20, 24. This is the account of Thomas. I just want to read this and comment on, on what took place here with Thomas. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. I think that means he was a twin. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. Um, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of his nails, and put my finger in the print of his, uh, in the print of his nails, and thrust my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the door being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, uh, My Lord and my God, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Those are some beautiful words. I love those words. You know, Thomas is known as the doubting Thomas. Uh, He's kind of scoffed at and dismissed and laughed a little bit at because of his assumed weak faith and uh, maybe his resolve. But this morning, I'd like to stick up for Thomas a little bit this morning. Maybe it's because there's a little of Thomas in me. And I, su- I suspect in many of you too, maybe. Uh, and many, maybe you don't have these temptations come for you. And bless the Lord, but I know that many Christians do. Now, Thomas, uh, when you, uh, the, at first thought you think, well, Thomas, this is this weekly. But the truth of it is, Thomas was actually a very loyal and, and uh, a very loyal disciple of Jesus and a very courageous one at that. In jo- for instance, in John 11, it says that, you remember the story that Jesus was preparing to go back to Judea to raise Lazarus. And, uh, and his disciples said, are you planning on going back there? The Jews want to stone you. Why do you want to go back there? But not Thomas. Immediately Thomas spoke up and he said, let's go that we may die with him. That doesn't sound like weakly to me. Another time, Jesus was talking about leaving and going to heaven. And Thomas, he, was, he asked Jesus, you know, you've talked about that you're going to go. And, but we know not, here's the words he said, we know not whether thou goest and how can we know the way. Uh, I believe Thomas was genuinely perplexed and brought this question to Jesus for this reason. And I have to do these at times too. Uh, he was a seeker. He obviously was, albeit maybe a slow learner. Uh, perhaps, as maybe many of us are, be included. But later, Thomas grew, up, grew in his faith and love and maturity, and he became a great, brave, and dedicated evangelist for Jesus Christ, just to keep, continue on with his history. Tradition says that he was a person uh, that then went on to, uh, or excuse me, that he went to Persia and then he went on to India, 
where he started many churches in India back, way back then. And he was martyred there in Madras, India, on December 21st, killed with a lance, martyrdom. I heard uh, that a church actually survives there in that city today. I don't know. I, I didn't follow that up. So Thomas was actually, he was not an unbeliever by any means. Uh, but he was, he was in doubt, or actually the Bible doesn't say he was. But if we assume there was something going on there. Now, was that all bad? I'd like to examine possibilities of, of what was going on in Thomas's uh, mind and behavior, just what was going on. When we think of doubt, we think of a lot of other words that have come close to doubt, and I'd just like to just go over these words a little bit. One is disbelief, another one is skepticism, and another one is unbelief. Now, skepticism is the notion that all knowledge must always be in question. It never, and never comes to ultimate truth. Uh, I know that we use that word uh, to say that, show me the truth and maybe you can convince me. I know we say that. But originally, the skeptics were a member of, a, of an ancient Greek uh, philosophical school in which uh, they, they proclaimed the doctrine of, uh, of, well, at least they denied the possibility of real knowledge of any kind. And I know words change, but that is where the word skepti skeptics come from. And a Christian can't be a skeptic, at least not that kind of one. Uh, yeah, the next word is disbelief, I mentioned. And disbelief is the positive refusal to believe God or his word or anything. It's just absolute refusal. Now, unbelief is similar to that, but it's got a little slight different meaning. Unbelief is the lack of belief but or withholding belief. Now, that's interesting to me, withholding belief. Um, withholding means that you, you know, but you withhold it to a certain extent. Uh, in Hebrews 4, it talks about how the children of Israel that left Egypt did not enter to promised land because of unbelief. Now, um, it wasn't skepticism or doubt or disbelief. It was withholding belief. They knew better. There's plenty of knowledge and truth about, uh, about it, but, but they withheld it. Uh, withholding of truth is, is uh, uh, it, there's a lot of that going on here and there, just withholding belief. However, doubt is about indecision. It's about being inclined to disbelieve or unsettled or uncertain or wavering in your belief. And a Christian can't live in such a continual condition of doubt, yet the temptation to doubt comes comes to me, different reasons why that it comes. Um, and it comes because of conflicting information or knowledge. It's, that's, that's what happens. Is I'm not sure about the situation. I don't know a, uh, what's going on. Um, I have to think of this here. Uh, just a short time ago, I, was, I hooked up a trailer to my truck, and there was some other boys with me. And as I pulled ahead, uh, they had hooked it up for me. As I pulled ahead, there was this little jerk, and I was thinking, well, they didn't latch the trailer back there. So I said, did you latch the trailer? Uh, yes, we did. Uh, but I was in doubt. I didn't have the information fully truth because 
I noticed that hesitancy in their voice. Uh, I, needed, I needed information. I needed uh, knowledge of some sort. What's going on here? So I got out and checked. Yeah, it wasn't latched. Uh, so we're faced with these. When we're faced with these uncertainties and, and, and so forth, we've got to settle this, this situation. And it's at temptation, it's only a temptation to doubt at this point uh, and to settle the situation. Actually, this conflict of information can be a, a how would you say, a mechanism to make us search and inquire and make sure, ascertain, is this really so? Bible says you're calling an election, sure. And maybe that's what Thomas was doing. Uh, he wanted to know the truth, obviously, and you could see by his other words that he talked about that I talked earlier in John, that he was interested in this. Uh, he obviously didn't trust his other disciples, as I didn't trust uh, the boys that thought maybe they had latched the latch. Uh, he didn't trust them. He, I, have, I was thinking, what's going on here? And I was thinking, maybe they're he was thinking they were hallucinating because of the trauma and the despair and the discouragement of the last week that was taking place. Maybe that's what he was thinking. And these things can happen to you. You can, in these cases, some very serious stuff can happen. <clears throat> you can uh, be completely mistaken. So we need to settle our, our, our situation ahead of time. I, have to, I had to think, I'm just thinking of a story that that would illustrate a little bit how that, that uh, uh, when, when something really serious is happening to you, that you have to, that, that, the, that get your information is often mixed up. Uh, I remember there's a young cousin of mine that was, was hunting deer, and there was others around, around with him, and uh, they heard a shot, and, and they rushed up to him because there was no other shots, figured he had a deer. There he was standing with his gun, and he said, uh, uh, hey, this great big buck went by, and I shot, I shot, I emptied my gun, completely empty. And uh, they said, well, we heard only one shot. And they, they, they doubted his word. Well, they looked around, and all his bullets were out on the ground unshot. He had, he had fought. He had really doing on this shooting, but he was hallucinating because of the severe things that were taking place. Hysteria can do strange things. And Thomas, in this case, was not going to be misled. I'm guessing, I have no proof of this, but he was not going to be mis misled by his delusional friends. Um, and it, it, it's interesting to me, and maybe even noteworthy, that Jesus... Uh, he didn't say Tom. He didn't. He didn't say. Uh, uh, just say Thomas. You get a grip. You 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 have to believe. He did actually say, "Look, see my hands and my feet." Uh, I'm not sure if Tom if Jesus was actually rebuking Thomas when he said, "Don't be faithless, but believe." He was just. Uh, I would suppose that 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 Jesus, in a sense, was smiling to himself, in a sense. 
Thomas, here I am. Here you said these words, and here I am. Just believe this. Well, actually, Thomas didn't have a problem after that. Now, Peter, when he sank in the sea, Jesus said, actually, these words, O ye of little faith. Well, that happens to us a lot of times. I hope there's at least a little faith. Jesus didn't say no faith. Uh, believe. Uh, so Jesus was saying, here's the evidence, believe. I have to think, what would the other disciples have said and uh, had they been in Thomas's shoes? Now, don't forget, they could be, and John, I suppose, who wrote this, he, he probably saw Jesus before he had to go through this thing where he heard about Jesus and didn't see him. Uh, what would they have done in that case? What would we have done? Uh, neither one of them totally understood, according to the scripture, about the death and resurrection of Jesus afterwards. Jesus told them, but there was something missing. They couldn't grasp it. But Jesus chose, I think, and he might choose you for these examples, us. But Jesus chose this questing, but loyal, brave Thomas to demonstrate the truth that he wanted to express, a truth that today we see and is precious to us. I doubt very much if Thomas had to, to go to, Jesus said, come and, come and touch me, but I doubt very much if he actually had to. There was this deep, intense emotion of Thomas, which resonates with me today and <clears throat> does with all Christian people. My Lord and my God, there was no conflict anymore. The truth was here. There was fact. There was knowledge. It was here. Let's remember that faith isn't the absence of evidence. Uh, we do need evidence. And, uh, and in this case, he got it. Now, Jesus opened Thomas's eyes and mind clearly and openly. And he still does that to us today. He opens our mind and our eyes to where we can see in, in the sense, at least, um, well, anyway. Now, for hard learners like Thomas and me, sometimes he has to, do, has to do special things for those sometimes, and he did it for him. Um, there's all kinds of barriers, of cultures, of attitudes, of biases that needed Jesus to open eyes, and the Lord is doing it today and today. I have to think my, my father, and maybe I've said this before, Barbara might have. My, my father, of course, was born in a, in a church where, where, where the Bible was taught, but Jesus was not taught, at least not, he didn't catch it. Um, it was in a different language a little bit. He just simply, he was not in his church. He didn't get it for whatever reason. And he wanted something, and he, he desperately sought God. But he, didn't, he couldn't see Jesus. But one day, he, he gives the example. He was out in the barn. He was praying for, 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 uh, for revelation of what should he do. And Jesus appeared. Now, I'm, he says, Dad said he doesn't know if it was actually saw him. He almost believed he did. But there was a voice behind him that's, that, that, uh, talked, that quoted a scripture verse to him. It's happening all over the world today where people's eyes are open. I was just reading last week in the Voice of the Martyrs of this, this um, Muslim man, and he was, he was so, uh, uh, so upset at, at, this, at uh, this ISIS that was killing people, and he said, that can't be right. 
And he read in his, his uh, book in Quran, and it, basically the Quran said, uh, however you read it, it didn't forbid it totally. Uh, anyway, he was disgusted with this thing. Somehow he got a, a, a New Testament. He was reading in the New Testament, and it's amazing how the Lord speaks to people. I've seen him speak to him in so many different ways. Uh, one, one woman in, in um, uh, I think it was India or somewhere, she came to the Lord because she heard the words, it is finished. Uh, but in this case, he was reading the, the story of the woman that was caught in adultery, and it said, um, in, in here, what struck him, it says that he said, he told the woman, I don't condemn you, but go sin no more. Just a simple verse. There's lots of verses where people come to the Lord. <clears throat> but he was in his house, and then in this article it said, and he, uh, suddenly he shouted out loud, he said, this is, this is God here. This is God, and he accepted the Lord. His eyes were opened. He was, he, the Lord left um, uh, the Lord gave him this, this message. Now Jesus leave, left us a message through Thomas, the testimony of, of Thomas. And this is what he said. Blessed are those. Um, excuse me. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now the Lord for some reason chose that we won't see Jesus. Basically, I think that's what he sees. You won't actually see Jesus in the physical sense anymore until he returns. But we can hear him. We know it. We can hear about him. And we are those people. Blessed are they that have not seen. The evidence is plain, everything, but Jesus chose not to give, uh, to, to let us see. This is designed by God. And, uh, but through his spirit and many proofs, uh, there is no doubt. Actually, there is no doubt. Uh, in Romans 1, it says that, that everybody was out excuse. Let's just ask a few, what, it, what causes us to fall into doubt? Uh, or, uh, yeah, or to, to be tempted with doubt? Uh, And I'm, I'm, uh, as I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking that we need to be prepared before temptation comes. The temptation is going to come. It comes, and we have to be prepared. But these are the reasons why that, uh, that often that, that we are tempted and there's a possibility of falling because of it. Temptation itself is not sin, but uh, lack of knowledge, as I mentioned earlier to you, he didn't know. Yeah, I doubt it because it didn't know them some things. So have we settled who God is? That is the important thing. We need to know exactly who God is and who he is. We need to deeply, unreservedly, personally know God, know him. The Bible says, know him, the power of his resurrection. In Hosea, it says, in Hosea 4, 6, it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We need to get the evidence. We need to, uh, not only the evidence, we need to observe, we need to read, we need to get this. There's another thing that, that brings, um, uh, brings us into great temptation is a great crisis in our life. Often these crises come, they're so critical and, and frightening that we throw truth and knowledge out the door. It's a possibility of doing that. 
just for a moment of the anguish that we're going through. <clears throat> My son Jeff is in Chile, South America. He's a minister there. And, <clears throat> and uh, there was uh, one of the men, there was a shop there, and one of the men comes to church there and is a very faithful member. And there's another man, his partner that's there, and uh, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't speak against uh, Christianity, neither is he for Christianity. So I asked my son Jeff, what, why, what is going on with this man? And he said that, that when this man was, a young, was young, that his mother was a very dedicated Christian, uh, and his brother, um, something happened to his eyes that he was going to go blind if he didn't take care of it. And his mother, she, uh, she just uh, decided he's going to be healed. And uh, she prayed and prayed and refused to take him to a doctor, and he didn't get healed, and he was blind. This turned him off. This, this critical, frightening thing turned him off, and, and he refused to, to... I'm not sure if he said he's an atheist or not. Um, but, but these things do happen, and... and uh, uh, deep, Peter, for instance, an example, he believed until the storm came and the waves were around him and suddenly he was faithless or little in faith. These things happen again and again. I also read a story of a, uh, in a book of this um, man who, who believed in God. I think he might have been a Jew. I believe he was a Jew. He believed in God, uh, not in Jesus necessarily. <clears throat> he was in concentration camp there's a 12-year-old boy there that, that did something guards didn't like, and they were, they were planning on executing him. And as he was hung, this man cried out in anguish, there is no God. Uh, where is he today? And he refused to believe God. He was atheist ever, ever after that. So these, we, this man was not rooted like he should have been. There's another reason why this happens, uh, doubt. I'm, I'm talking not just the temptation, but you can give in to it, but the temptation that we don't like the truth. The Bible says that God gives them strong delusions because they, they, um, they don't want to believe. They don't want to believe. Uh, the atheists, I read this, this declaration by one atheist. It said, we deny that there is an almighty God because it requires a moral code. And we're not interested in moral code. We want to be wicked. Uh, the last part I added, but that's, that's what he wanted. They don't want to believe in God, willingly ignorant, because they didn't want to. And you know, the Jews did something very similar to that. They said that, that can any good come out of Nazareth? Uh, they didn't want to believe this. They didn't search the scripture because it talks about that. Uh, they had already decided they don't want to believe. You know, the world is calling loudly, and the people doubt the Scripture because Satan is the prince and power of the air attempting that to happen to them. And as I mentioned earlier, another reason, uh, another example of this is children of Israel. They saw God as plainly as Thomas did, even more so the, the plagues that took place in Egypt. They left there. But they, they didn't enter the promised land because of unbelief. In this case, it was withholding belief. They didn't want to believe. Um, 
Another uh, another reason that I, the last reason that um, I want to give here is the is the lack of the Holy the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, that causes now that I'm not saying that you're not tempted but to falling into the temptation the Holy Spirit. He teaches you all things, knowledge and truth. And he is the one that can come into locked doors today and reveal his hands in his side. Uh, but he can't do that if you're distant or can't live in, uh, live in you because of unrighteousness and sin. So do not, Bible says, quench the spirit. Don't weaken his voice if you really want the truth and won't want it out. Now, I've asked, um, just to, uh, as I was studying this some time ago, I asked some people, uh, where is your temptation? Because I find out some people are tempted one place and some place tempted to doubt. And these are the reasons that they have given me. And maybe they don't resonate with you. But, uh, but I believe for most Christians, we're assaulted again and again uh, with falsehood and deceit. And we have to renew... Uh, Renew our minds, as the Bible says. <clears throat> Here's what they told me, different things they told me. The existence and the goodness of God. Again and again, we have to come back to who is God? What is he really? A lot of times there's a wrong version of God. We, we need to get back to the, the goodness and mercy of God, as we talked about this morning uh, in devotions. The other one was the truth of the Bible. Is the Bible true? The other one is the truth of Christ. Yeah, you might believe the Bible is true, but, uh, but uh, the, uh, the truth of Christ. I met a, a pastor of a certain mainline church here on the streets not too long ago, and I was talking to him a little bit about the Bible, and he said, now I mentioned something in, in Galatians or something, and he said, oh, I don't believe any of that. He said, uh, that's good reading, but the only thing I believe is, is the four Gospels. That's all he believes. Um, so these it, I couldn't believe that but that's what he said the other one is how the Christian life is lived out the doubts that come how are you doing today I'm just going to go over a few of those things and uh, uh, and just just a few thoughts on each one to hopefully to strengthen us and uh, you've heard these things before I know I know that those of us who have grown up from our youth and being taught of the existence of God, a benevolent, merciful God, probably don't uh, battle doubt of his existence. Maybe you do it, maybe you don't. However, uh, we really need to know God and we need to know him strong. And the Bible says in the power of his resurrection, if you're going to be able to battle him when the doubts come, when you go out on the street somebody, and somebody says, yeah, but you know, this and that, and today it's especially bad. Um, if you really know God, the other questions that I just asked are probably going to be secondary. Um, but just a few things about the existence of God. You know, there's overwhelming evidence of the existence of God. Romans 1 said that, and I'll repeat it again. We are without excuse. There is no excuse. There's lots there. There's many sermons and talks and books that talk about, about this. 
and, um, and they are very convincing and true. And the truth of it is, do you know that most people know that there is a God? God created um, and programmed in each one of us a sense of divinity uh, into the hearts of every one of us, of the world, and everybody in the world. There is, how would you say, repeating it from somebody else, there's eternity in their hearts. Even in the heathen and the unchurched, that's true. There is the just the knowledge that there is something like that. And to me, that itself is a huge evidence of the existence of God that, that I see that. I don't need that because there's lots of other evidence. Um, and we read about these evidences in, in all in biology and archaeology and, and in, in creation and everything that we can think of. Uh, there's so much, um, so much of that. I know there's people, atheists, that so convincingly say, um, you know, I don't believe in God, and, and, but they're wrong. They're wrong because in their heart there was this thing. And like the old saying is that there's no atheist in a foxhole. I believe that's true, and you notice that in some of these um, former atheists. The truth of it is, the atheists, uh, that there are, people think there's a lot of atheists in the world. The truth of it isn't, there isn't very many. It's like in, now this might have been three, four, five years ago, maybe there's more that would say that, but I think at that time it's three or four <clears> percent. And of those, there might be another six percent that claim they are, but, but uh, uh, I don't believe them. But even the hardcore ones are questioning them. I read this uh, little interesting statement. Uh, the truth is, atheism remains very much a minority. That's not a quote, that was my words, but uh, this, uh, this man, Dinesh D'Souza, said this, throw a stone in the, in the faculty parking lot of an elite American or European university and you would have a good chance of hitting an atheist. But throw a stone anywhere else and you really have to aim. And it's just kind of interesting statement. I have a book at home as I was studying this. I glanced over my library and there was a book there. It says by Bruce Moline. It says, know the truth. And in it, there's these rational proofs of God. It's so convincing that I don't need to read these, but I do. I just love to read them because uh, I want to make myself stronger and stronger on and, and, and that. Bible says that only a fool says that there is no God. There's just too much evidence for that. Um, there's a band working for us in our, in our trust plant. I, he calls himself an atheist, just a young man, about 30. Uh, you know, when he says that, I'm not really listening to him saying he's an atheist. I'm thinking, why is he saying this? I'm looking back in his childhood. I'm looking at, at uh, something that happened back there that he's reacting against. Uh, because God is too evident. I'm thinking, is he angry at hypocrites is he uh, was his father absent in his life was he does he hate authority in his case he does so I think of that I'm going to jump over to the other one um, uh, is the Bible true uh, again it's a subject of its own but consider these truth that can't be dispensed with in the Bible unless the Bible is true, certain truth even outside the Bible. 
Let's take, just take it this way. Since there is a God, you've already decided that, we know that, and he's a benevolent, good God, and we know that his beautiful handiwork and design and his complexity involves man. Could you imagine a God that is merciful, even a God that, that cares in the least? Could you imagine such a wise God who wouldn't communicate in some way to us today? His form of communication is the Bible. No, I can't imagine that. The Bible in itself is without equal in, in, uh, in the world as a book today. The synchronization of a plan, you know, a, a good book has a plot and it's got, it carries the plan out. And it, uh, this, this book is without equal. You just, there's a central theme through thousands of years by different people and uh, there's fulfilled prophecy and many other proofs. And it's never been proven historically or archaeologically or any other way has been proven uh, wrong. I know that, that you could ask some questions about what I just said, but, they, but they're completely understandable. Uh, you know, today there's the archaeologists, they go out there and they, they give you all kinds of, of, uh, of new information that we found. They found this this skull out there is four million years old. They did this. One of the interest, one of the things that interests me, I got a book on on uh, ancient Israel, and in there it said these archaeologists said, yeah, we know that earlier that uh, this man his name is John Arsatan or something like that uh, as an archaeologist that he said that he found Jericho and that it really fits the Bible. But we found out that's not true, and we've got newer techniques and newer things. That, that say that, that they're never, that the walls of Jericho, yeah, they're falling down, but it happened 150 years before the Israelites came there. Um, I chose to believe God because of my, my uh, faith in God. I believed it. And yet, I, I was curious what, uh, what's going on here. And then a, uh, a Christian archaeologist, name is uh, Bryant Wood, I believe, recently, I believe I'm correct in this. I'm correct in this that he wrote an article in Answers in Genesis just last week. I got, I just got that, and then it it said he he uh, he's uh, uh, how would you say a peer of them, and he said he explained what they're doing. Here is the truth. It's so beautiful to to see that Christian scientists and. Uh, uh, that say that are equals of any secular scientist say this these things, but let's come to the truth of Christ. You know, a lot of people believe in God, but they don't believe in Christ, Jesus Christ. He came to Earth, to the people He created and loved and redeemed, and the evidences again are overwhelming, even outside of Scripture. I could mention many proofs, but I'm not going to this morning. There's book upon book, and I think we should avail ourselves of them. Uh, some of the examples I read more recently was The Case of Christ by Lee Strobel and More, more Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell and a number of books like this that uh, people who have previously been there to prove that the, that the scripture is wrong and decided the evidence is overwhelming. And when they saw the evidence, uh, it required, uh, it required a, uh, an answer to that and they gave their lives to Jesus. 
But maybe one of the greatest evidence is the story of changed lives in the world today. I, that's something you can see with your own eyes, the story of changed lives, and, and maybe more than that, the story of, of him living in my own heart. I could just say to the people who doubt it, try him, see and taste of him. The last one I just want to mention is how do we live out the Christian life as described in New Testament? And as a church, you have decided to, to, uh, uh, to walk a Christian life the way that you have decided here, and God bless you for that. But today the world and the church walk so close together, and they claim they're all Christians, and I'm not here to say, to do anything about that. But I wonder if this isn't the greatest temptation today is the details of living out the Christian life today and the doubts, particularly young, among young people. Does the New Testament really apply to us today and to the details that your church is doing today? Uh, and you know, uh, this, I truly believe in it. I want to tell you this. I've examined the evidence. I have looked at it. I, have, I just want to say from my heart, and your church is very similar to our church. And I know your faith and your belief. And I just want to say, there's plenty of evidence. Lots. But today we have an extra fight, I believe. Seems like, the, like it says in uh, Revelation that, that uh, the enemy is encamped and encompasses the camp of the uh, saints. I didn't quote that exactly, but... So we have, the world is beckoning to us as never before. However, we can't dispense with parts of the, of the scripture that I fear many other Christians do. I can't dispense with them. I don't know what to do with them if I can't do them. I know what to do with them. I, I want to follow him. We need, to, we need to determine when doubt comes, before it comes, that not even if our friends, our professors, or our teachers, or everything, anybody belittles us, we are going to follow Christ. We're going to follow his teaching. I believe in the New Testament, uh, in everything in the New Testament. I know you do too, but um, I, would, I didn't tell this man because he was not enough time. But, uh, but, but Jesus said, he told his disciples in carrying it out, he said, I give unto you... Uh, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. And he gave them that power. So the apostles, they fleshed out the, the words of Jesus. And I truly believe it's the, um, the very word of God, as he did to the prophets of old. No, not even if our friends or other Christians or whatever, and not be swayed because we don't like the message. And... Uh, uh, and not because of who brings the message, but the message is true in the New Testament, and there's some interpreting to be done. There's things that are not specifically stated in New Testament today, and he leaves it to the church to, to, to uh, make these. It's over and over again in the scripture, it talks about wisdom and asks us to use wisdom in this thing. You know, there's, I think you know this, but there's many things in the, in the, uh, uh, New Testament that, that, that is not perfectly spelled out. Uh, take communion, for instance. I'm sure we do communion like I, you do. 
uh, we do like you do, and, and I believe in that. But it doesn't say. Uh, we have some German Baptist friends, and uh, oh, they strong, it asked me to attend one of their communion. I did, and it was interesting, and I appreciated being there with them, in a sense. I didn't partake. Uh, but they, they, uh, they wrapped a towel around them when they washed feet. They, they took wine instead of grape juice. They did different things that they did. And uh, uh, anyway, it doesn't exactly say some of this, although I have to say that the Bible doesn't call it wine ever that I know of. It always calls it the fruit of the vine. Nevertheless, baptism. How, or some people pour it on three times, some other people once. It doesn't say the church makes these decisions by, uh, in your local church here, you've decided these things, and God bless you for, for doing that. But those are the things that, that we have to use wisdom. Uh, the Apostle Paul had no idea that there was cars and that you could misuse them or your smartphone or your computer. He didn't know that. But the principles are there, and we need to use wisdom. We need to come up with this and this. And, and a church that, that teaches and abides by this, it's a stabilizing thing for people in the church. Okay, I'm coming to the last part now. The bottom line is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He will give you this, these things. No man cometh unto the Father except by me, it says. And in the end here, it says, I love these words. These, it, it says that, that these are the signs that truly Jesus did in the presence of the disciple. And there's some that, a lot of them that weren't even written, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Don't you like that verse? I do. I love that verse because it teaches us that today we have to take the evidences. You don't see Jesus. You can't put your hands, but there's evidence without excuse. It's there. The disciples were so positive that Jesus was the Son of God that they all, except for John, uh, after the resurrection, I think they all, all gave their life for Jesus and went to India and to Africa and to Mark, I think, was one at Africa, and they went all over the place and gave their life in martyrdom for, for Jesus because they were so convinced and so, so passionate about serving Jesus Christ and that believing you might have life through his name it's the only place you're going to get life. So I want to leave that with you. I just want to uh, um, to to have that. There was maybe I, I was just see in the back here. I had a little pamphlet here that I did want to bring to your mind. In the in the sword and trumpet, you might have seen this sort of interesting thing called cheated for life. Uh, it's just very interesting. Maybe uh, Steve Stutzman, who I happen to know to know, wrote this, and he was saying how that. Um, uh, these are the words. I should have done this before, but I'll just say a few words about this. Um, my mind was stirred by comment on somebody else's post about needing a move of the Holy Spirit to get over what all they're missing out growing up to be a Mennonite. I thought perhaps maybe share a bit of my perspective on what all I was cheated out after traveling the United States and so forth. So here's what Steve says he was cheated out of. <clears throat> I had to, <clears throat> excuse me, I had to work. You have no idea of the abuse I endured, slaving way before sun was up, 
do my, do, do my chores before school. <clears throat> I never got to go hungry, not once. Um, I never had the pleasure of being neglected. Instead, I had to wash behind my ears and brush my teeth. He goes on to say, um, I never had the excitement of watching my parents divorce. I was cheated out of this. Um, I was never allowed the joy of watching my dad come home drunk and puking all over the couch and floor. Um, never felt the adrenaline of hiding behind a couch while dad beat up mom. And I never saw my sisters go crazy. Uh, it's a longer article, I'm just picking a few out. Never got to shoot anybody or join a gang. Um, and just a few more words here I'm going to pick out here. It says, uh, I've heard story upon story and tale upon journey uh, about uh, uh, of, of, of different places I've been. I walk away from places sometimes so absolutely appalled at the devastation I see played out in the havoc-filled lives in front of me. Broken homes, devastated children, homeless and hopeless souls, women with four children from three fathers, drug, murder, angry parents. Um, sometime, if you have a chance, read that in one of the latest uh, Sword and Trumpet. It's very interesting, but the point I'm trying to make is this. Your church is, uh, how do you live out a Christian life? Your church has, has protected and nurtured and made this. And it is so stupid to, to, for people to leave such a precious setting and go out into the world and, and go into this. Um, so I'm going to leave with that. May the Lord bless you.